Hey everyone, it's Alan Schimmel, and we've got another great episode of CISO Talk for you. Let me introduce you to our fantastic panel today. First of all, I'm joined by my co-host on CISO Talk, Matthew Newfield, CISO at Unisys. Matt, welcome. Always a pleasure to be here, Alan. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. And then also uh, our other regular is the CEO founder of Accelerated Strategies Group, Mitch Ashley. Hey, Mitchell, welcome. Thank you much. Good to be here. Good to have you here. Our two uh, guests for this panel are Mr. Julian Waits of Devo, who is the GM of their cyber practice. Julian, give, give, introduce yourself. Sure. Thank you, Alan. Uh, well, you said it already. Julian Waits, GM of cybersecurity for uh, Devo Technology Inc. Absolutely. And then last but not least, we have Ben Carr, who's the CISO over at Qualys. Ben, you want to give any background or anything? Yeah, thanks, Alan. So, yeah, as you said, my name is Ben Carr. I'm the CISO for Qualys. Um, people are most likely, I'm sure, familiar with Qualys as a company. Been around the industry for quite a while. But um, I've had roles at uh, Aristocrat, Visa, Nokia. So I've um, been in the security industry for quite a while now. Excellent. Thanks. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Um, so we have a really interesting topic we're going to talk about this week, and that is the role of a CISO when it comes to reporting and and uh, data breaches, uh, you know, being transparent to authorities, etc. I think we're all familiar that there's recently been a very high-profile incident where a CISO was charged criminally with... Uh, kind of lack of, of performing their duties or a lack of transparency around reporting and, and so forth and, uh, you know, not doing the right thing, so to speak. We all have our views on whether this is right, wrong, little of both. But let, let's, let's dive right in. Matt, I'm going to ask you to kick off, if you don't mind, uh, with some views on this. And then, you know, panel, feel free to jump in. Wonderful. So, you know, it's a very interesting topic. You know, the CISO role, cybersecurity roles are newer when you think of industry. And, you know, prior to us recording, we were having, I thought, a very lively debate as where should the CISO sit? What are the responsibilities of the individual in that role, whether it be a general manager of security, CISO, CSO, I've started to hear CSIO, um, where do they sit? What protections do they have? And what's the core responsibility should something happen, especially if something is made public or it happens where they wanted to do something, they can prove they may have wanted to do something, but were told to do otherwise. And let's flip that around to say, what if they go out and they are public about what has happened when they've been told not to by their senior leadership? How do you set up those protections? How do you set up that communication within the company? Hmm. We're talking about this high profile out on the West Coast, but there's been plenty of situations where you could read the news where a cybersecurity executive was fired because they whistle blew, right? They, they had a problem with an audit. They had a problem with an auditor. They had a problem with a situation and they, they wanted to do the right thing. And they were personally hurt by that, their reputation as well as their career and salaries. So we thought it'd be just a good conversation, uh, Julian, Ben, and Mitch, just to open up and, and get your thoughts. Ben, yeah, you Matt, I, 
Yeah, you were yeah, talking. So, so. <laughs> I, I was going to say that um, I, I really think it highlights kind of this change in or, or evolution in the role of the CISO, right? Um, I, I think for a long time, CISOs came from kind of a technical background and were, were seen as subordinates of one of the other C-level roles. But I think ultimately, the, the CISO really needs to be seen as a true partner to the business and, you know, uh, at an equal playing field at that level, right? And some of the advice that we give in times of a breach or an incident, you know, sure, we want advice from counsel to understand like what the legal implications are. Many CISOs aren't lawyers and don't have that experience. Um, we want, you know, advice from the CFO to understand like what the impact from a financial perspective is. But ultimately, I think, you know, it's not just companies, but I think it's external influences are starting to look at CISOs as ultimately being responsible for the advice that's given with regard to security incidents or issues. And so in that regard, I think, you know, many CISOs aren't, aren't used to thinking about, you know, am I on DNO insurance, right? Am I, am I covered, right? Like, what's my responsibility to not only the organization, but to third parties and to the government? Um, I, I was mentioning, and, and not to make this go too long, but I, I was mentioning to you guys earlier, I think that many people aren't aware that, that things are changing from a governmental and a regulation standpoint. So um, Department of the Treasury, I think on the 1st of October, just released guidance. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a change, but they're making it official policy um, from the Foreign Assets Control Office that payment to ransomware for cyber criminals, where those cyber criminals may be in restricted locations or individuals, is not legal. And so, you know, you may get advice that, you know, we, hey, we should pay the ransomware just to make it go away and, and, you know, get it under the radar. One, that's illegal. Two, what's your duty to report that that happened and that, you know, you had an incident both from the perspective of, you know, the cyber resiliency of the company as a shareholder interest, um, also the financial interest that you, you made that payment, right? Well, let's be honest. Wow. I mean, let's let's really, if you think about it, you, you've said quite a few things here. Let's let's just hit with DNO insurance. I, I would be willing to bet you if we pulled in 500 CISOs that probably came from a very technical non-business background and don't have a real seat at the table, may work under a CIO, may even work multiple rungs under uh, a C-suited executive. They may not even know what that is, mm. not understand the implications and. You know, you talk about laws and you talk about changes. It is interesting. I have been following that 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 same um, situation when it comes to what's legal and not legal on paying ransomware. But when I talk into the communities that I'm a part of, a lot of people, they the, the question they ask is, how did you find that out? How do you know about that? Right. It's because of where people sit. So, Julian, well, well it becomes even more confusing if you're asked to pay ransomware how do you do the attribution on it, right? Like, I may, In some cases, it may not just be possible. So the fact that you're paying ransomware to a non-attributable source may, may long-term down the road get you into quite a bit of trouble. And where they are, that country may not be one, one of the yeah. restricted countries where you make the payment, but they are located. The individual you, know, you don't know who they are. I mean, you're doing a Bitcoin. Julian, you work, Julian works a ton. Real quick, you may be in a non-defensible situation in that you may think you're paying it to an adversary that's in the United Kingdom or in a good country. But if the government comes to you and says, no, we believe they're in a country that they shouldn't, you shouldn't have paid to. Now you have to prove how are you going to do that? It's impossible. Yep. Julian, Julian, you work a ton with the government. I I know Devo has a significant cyber practice. 
in the Fed space. What have you heard about this ransom? Have you heard about this ransomware thing yet? I have never. I, so I know that in general, I knew the government does not smile on paying ransomware. But I'll tell you, as a as a practitioner, especially working also in the banking community, my advice in the past has been pay the ransomware. I mean, <laughs> it's a, it's a business, and uh, and most most criminals of this sort honor their commitment. Uh, but I will highlight that paying ransomware is very different than some of the other situations that we've been talking about, yeah. because uh, the 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 issue at at, at you know with the with the greater issue. At, the other company we're talking about, I'll leave it at that, wasn't the fact that they paid the ransomware, it was that they also paid to not have it disclosed. Mm -hmm. So you need to be very careful about how you split hairs with the law, um, especially when you're dealing with the government. Everybody's going to be hacked. The question disclosure is... Disclosure and also to the federal authorities, right? So right. it's not just public disclosure. Yeah, Julian, and, and the details of, you know, we're not getting into, you know, very specific details and identifying anything. Like, I think, you know, look, even some of those instances where, you know, the CISO may make a determination, sometimes they're doing that under the advice of counsel or under the direction mm -hmm. of the CEO, Absolutely. but that, that doesn't necessarily absolve them of, you know, responsibility in some cases, right? Well, Which it, is, never, think, it, it never absolves them of responsibility. I think to your point, like DNO insurance is only one thing. DNO insurance deals with paying your legal fees. doesn't stop you from going to jail. Mm -hmm. So yeah. the, the, the key is, is to always have something in writing with management because I'm going to go to something that you said at first, Ben, which is the CISO needs to be seen as a representative of the executive team. And if the industry didn't learn that from Target, then we're just all stupid. You had a guy <laughs> who, who basically worked his way from the mailroom all the way to the top as CEO of their company. And because of the way the breach happened, and the way the disclosures weren't done, an entire executive management team lost their jobs. Board members were physically sued. But for CISOs today, and to your point, it's, it's, it's a matter of understanding what it means for you to manage risk, for Ben to manage risk, for Matt to manage risk for the organizations that they're responsible for, of course. Security is an attribute of managing risk. And then in alignment with doing that, what's the risk that the corporation mitigates for you? Because again, it's not a question of when you're gonna be hacked. You've already been hacked. The question is, what's the materiality yeah. and what's mm -hmm. the ramifications from? Isn't yeah, a big part of this, what you're referring to, is also whose authority or who has decision-making capacity in this, exactly. right? There's the advice of counsel, there's a reputation of the company, there's impact to the company, shareholders, et cetera. Yeah, it, it, oftentimes that's led through the CEO or the executive team or a subset together, all working to say, what are we going to do? Sometimes you don't want to report because you don't want to have it affect your cyber insurance costs. Right. I mean, well, and and I think CISOs often get caught up in this, this uh, squishy middle ground, right? Of the, there's a discussion in, uh, with legal and the CEO, right? But then there's also this, this ultimate responsibility to the board, but sometimes they're, they're insulated from the board, right? In, in, a, in a subordinate way of a reporting structure when, when ultimately, again, I think this really gets back to companies understanding the importance of cyber, understanding the importance of security to the organization and 100%. understanding that, that that person really needs a relationship directly with the CEO and needs the, the ability to report directly to the board outside of that, that internal structure to make sure that they're they're having that that transparency, and that's ultimately what it's about. Like I, I I listened to a talk one time from a lawyer saying, you know, a lot of times mitigating these these issues, you know, even from a customer perception, is 
that transparency of the event happened. Here's what we're doing about it. Here's how we're remediating. Here, here's how quickly we're recovering. And that can, that can help out with the customer side. I think that transparency also helps out internally. It helps out with legal, right? And, and sometimes, ultimately, I think CISOs are probably going to need some type of external counsel to be able to have personal liability reliance, to be able to go out and say, hey, look, I, I have this thing. I'm, I'm ethically, I, I'm not sure how I do it. What's the advice of external counsel with relation to the role? And then I have the, the internal counsel with relation to my internal responsibilities. And ultimately, you've got to make the best decision for yourself in that spot. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's a lot of times CISOs are put in this weird predicament of do I do the right thing for myself, my family, or do I do the right thing for the corporation? And I do quotes in the air. And, and I agree with everything you've said. But unfortunately, there, you know, there are a lot of organizations in the world where the CISO is just not going to get a seat at the table. Yeah. Have They're it, just have not involved. And in, I, I've talked to CISOs in, in our community that keep getting pushed down. And when I ask, why are you down another rung? They didn't like hearing from me. They don't want to hear about the risks, right? They don't, they don't like the, the message. They don't like the story. And, and they go the other way. And I, I love the advice of external counsel and making sure that you're covered and doing the right thing. But, you know, I've also, you know, I think us in the cyber community, you know, you, Julian, and Ben, we, we have to continue to push for the fact that I would not work for an organization where I did not feel I have a voice. Exactly and, right. Yeah. When I, before I started at Unisys, when I was speaking to the executive team, I laid out what I, my expectations were, not because I'm something special, but I'm not willing to take a job where I feel like I could be at massive risk. And then it's about building your partnerships and relationships, right? Our chief ethics officer, compliance, what's your corporate crisis team look like? Yeah, How but Matt, most CISOs who are <laughs> friends of mine do not have your, mat your maturity around that, <laughs> right? It's, it's about the job. It's about the, the purview. It's about how big the team is, about the budget. And the thing they think about last is what are the ramifications if things go wrong? Because what you just said is exactly right. The CISO has to take responsibility for it up front, walking into the role. And that's what I mean around defining these guidelines around what the organization will be responsible for versus what you can be held responsible for outside of breaking the law. Uh, and, and, and Julian, Matt, I, both, I, I agree with, with both of what you said. And I think it's, it, the, the nuance there is that most people coming from that, it's come from a technical side, right? And so right. They, they, mm -hmm. haven't, they haven't been exposed to this area of the business. And, you know, stepping into the boardroom for the first time can be quite intimidating. You know, dealing with the CEO can be intimidating for people who aren't used to it. And so I think it's up to us as like, you know, people who have the experience and who've done this before to kind of beat the drum, right? And yeah, I think when you go in for that interview for your first CISO opportunity, if, if they say, hey, you're going to be reporting to the CIO, I think that's a red flag. Like we should look at that a little bit as a red flag. Right? A red it's, flag. It's, it's typical. It, like I, th I think to Matt's point, it's still typical. And uh, I think Julian, you mentioned this too. Like if you look at the number of five, Fortune 500 companies that have, uh, you know, CISOs who report to the uh, CIO, it, it's not a zero number, right? Yeah, it's probably percent. That, yeah, that's a problem, <laughs> yeah. right? But yeah. but we need to recognize that as an industry, and we need to keep highlighting that. And I think if you go into that discussion and you say you know, with, with, either with a recruiter or with, you know, the internal, when you're, when you're looking for that job and you say, look, I'm, I'm really, I'm really concerned. And I, I don't know if this is the right fit for me because this isn't a direct reporting relationship. And I think the importance of the CISO is, is X. I think that sets you up in a different caliber of, of role, right? I think like you're, you're perceived as, as a participant in the organization and not just, 
a, you know, somebody who's doing a role. And mm -hmm. so I, I think that's important is to set up the conversation, right? It, it takes some, it, it, uh, it takes some fortitude because it can be a little bit, uh, you know, challenging, but I, I think that's ultimately what we have to do. What are some of those questions that you would advise or, or all of the team would advise people to ask in that kind of situation? What are the right things to look for that are do positive signs that it's going to work? Do we have a procedure in place for crisis management in light of a material breach? I mean, that's one of the first things because that tells you whether you have a CEO and a board that are even concerned about it in the first place. If it's a large corporation and they haven't thought through that, that's the first red flag for me that there's a lot of work to do here if I take this job. When's the last time the CISO has reported directly to the board? And how frequently? Is there how a frequently? cyber? Yeah, how frequently? Is there a cyber risk committee? Not just a risk committee because that could be just business, but is there a cybersecurity and risk committee? How often does it meet? Who is the chairperson? I mean, these are, there are a lot of these questions, but I think Julian and Ben hit on something that's really important and it's the background. I think it's easy for us to say, cause it, you know, Ben with your background, Julian with your background, you have business. So I will make the assumption that you both are very comfortable having a conversation with a CEO, a business executive or a board about the Correct. business. No, it's fair. What I see a lot, though, is sisters who get that opportunity, they get really excited, and they go in front of the board, and they go, all right, my first slide <laughs> shows we got attacked 4,000 times, and, uh, you know, yeah. we stopped this many viruses. I've seen it, it a thousand times. I agree with you. And it's the, and it's, it's the, the constant, board it, it, it's the thing you hear from the, from the board or from the CEO is, like, I'm not getting the data I need, right? But the, the CISO doesn't know how to do it because they're just, they're, ex they're exposing technical issues. And what they need to expose is business issues. It's a different it's a level risk. of conversation. It's a risk. Yes. You know, guys, I, I, I got to get a word in here. This is the quietest I've ever been. <laughs> I, I think one of, one of the, and you touched on it a little bit, but let's be really clear. How many CISOs out there are first-time CISOs? They are grateful and eager to just have the job. They don't have the leverage, Matt, to do the say and, and demand the things you and Ben are, are talking about. Julian, to your point, right? I Look, man, I've been a security admin, and I, I got my CISSP a bunch of years ago. I took some SANS classes. The last CISO got fired because he wasn't kowtowing to the CEO. And now they want to make me the, CE, the, the CISO. And I'm going to get a big raise, and I got that C title. Alan, that's right. a, I, I, you're so right. I, I have a number of, of people who, they may not be first-time CISOs, but they're, you know, they haven't passed the third gig yet. They yep. started off as technologists, not as business people, even you know, uh, with their college education. It could have been in anything, English, whatever. It, 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 it lent itself to technology and what they do. And you're right. They're grateful for the position. Uh, a perfect example for me is my first CEO opportunity before I even knew I wanted to be a CEO in a startup company. Uh, it got offered to me by a, a startup that was doing great in the Bay Area uh, in the early 2000s. Turns out they were doing all kinds of things with, with backdating and everything else. And I would have been too ignorant and immature to even understand what the ramifications were. The flip side of that, though, is there's never been more education freely available to people to understand that their job, CISOs, is really about managing a risk. Because 
I, I have a close CISO friend today. It is his first CISO's gig. He reports to the CIO, so I'm going to go right after what Ben said. CIO is a friend of his. It's a financial institution, and on the IT side of the shop, they're woefully behind in the practices that they have around core cyber hygiene stuff. You know, we use Qualys as an example, like, or our okay. machines patched. Are we doing all of these things? And, and his peer and typically isn't doing it, yet the CIO is a friend of his who gave him this great opportunity. And half our conversations are, Julian, what do I do? Because if we have a breach, I'm aware of this. I have the reports that show it all, and I'm being held back from giving this information to management because my manager doesn't want me to get these other people in trouble. That, so that's real life. That's yeah, that real conflict life. happens all the time. That's the, that, for me, is the, is the biggest reason. Well, it's, it's one of two biggest reasons, right? The one we've been talking about. But the secondary reason is like this conflict that always exists if you report to the CIO. I mean, it's just a na- natural conflict of interest. Like it's a, it's a horrible position to be put in for, for a CISO. There's no independence always, to your point. Yeah, you're always oh. calling out the, the, you know, the, the, the problem that your boss has, right? Wait, and so exactly. there's no yeah. win. <laughs> your, your job is to be the scapegoat. When you, Absolutely. you know, I, I used to have a really good friend, unfortunately. Mitchell, you might have known. He passed away a bunch of years ago. A guy named Rick Dakin. Rick was the uh, founder of Coal Fire Systems. Big oh, security wow. uh, uh, thing. You know, and I used to laugh. Rick, Rick's office was up the road from our office. It's still secure. And we used to get together pretty often. We, we had a partnership. Rick used to love going into the board, going to the C-level people. And he'd start his shtick off with, uh, how do you look in stripes? Right? This, this is what Sarbanes-Oxley That's a great way to sucks. do it, though. Right. How do you look in stripes? And Rick would go right from there and really kind of put the fear of God into these people about, hey, you've got a responsibility. And he wasn't dealing with CISO per se. He was dealing with CEO, CIO, CFO, right? Risk management. But it, it's just as true today for CISO, right? You've got a way, your friend Julian, in the position he's in, he's got a way, you know, messing up his position, fighting with his friend versus how do you look in stripes? Well, and then and, here's the crazy thing. He, he, he actually loves his job in general because mm-hmm. he is working for a friend who supports him. But, but at the same time, what I keep telling him is he needs to weigh because he doesn't go home feeling good every day, right? He goes home. You can't. I'm not doing the right thing. I should be doing things differently. I've encouraged him. He should start looking for another job, actually, because if that's a, a, to Ben's point and to Matt's point. It's an untenable situation because when things go wrong, and they will, he will be the first person that gets fired and worse. What is If you went back 10 years, right, like even, probably even five years, that that was kind of masked, right? Like if things went wrong, like yeah, you might lose your job, but but the role hadn't elevated, and I think that's that's the difference now is you're seeing where it's starting to target this issue of how do you look in stripes, right? Like what's the fiscal impact to you, right, from a lawsuit or something that happens? Like even if you've done everything right, like I I like to I do some other things outside of cyber that that the same thing is true. Like even if you've done everything right, you still, you can still get sued. And the exactly. impact to that is huge, right? I mean, just the, the lawsuit is going to be financially draining and it's not going to make you feel good at the end of the day. So well, then, you've got to think about that on the front side to minimize that risk. Well, and if the reputational damage, so yep. let's say you don't get sued, are you going to get another job, right? And right. how do you explain that? 
And so we should switch the conversation because I think we get all this. So how can we help? Because one of the things that I think you all have said here that, that I absolutely 100% agree with is that there are many people in these roles that don't have the backgrounds and the skills necessary to truly be successful that may be working for people who also don't have the background skills or foresight or understanding of the roles to allow the people who work for them to be successful. So how do we, you know, what do you think about how do we change this industry? How do we fix this? Well, I think it starts with, with some of the, the organizations that educate the community, meaning um, I'm going to have this conversation with ISC squared, you know, they got a, a new CEO recently. And uh, I think, a part of becoming a CISSP or any of these other roles that we think about, we need to start thinking about risk ramifications to the people who are serving in these roles. It's just, it, it, it just, it's part of the problem is the community itself. We love to talk about technology. Everything's about technology and there's still not enough discussion about the business of being in security, meaning what you should know, what you represent and what you need to protect yourself against. I, I, that's fair. Ben? I think that's really true, true, Julian. I think, you know, at, you know, how many times do you go to, you know, what a black hat RSA, like, it, like everything is about the tech. Everything. Right? And like, it, we, like we not, it's need to start doing these kind of things, having these thought leadership discussions. Like I, I'd love to see a panel on this at, at every conference, right? At everything that, that happens, I'd love to see thought leadership from leaders who have, who have been around and who have done it to start to tell people and start to create that buzz and that discussion. I think, I think it's a twofold thing. One, you've got people in security who, who don't have the experience and don't know, right? And are coming up and, and are enthralled by the, the, their first time role at this very senior management level. And then you've got the other side of the business that, that also doesn't really know. They don't understand security, right? I mean, often a lot of times, the reason why they're having a hard time digesting it is because they don't understand the very specific technical issues of it, right? And they see it as very technical. And right. we need to bring those two sides together to understand that this is a area of the business that's a risk area that has to be addressed properly, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't put a, a CFO, you know, just, just go do the Excel. Like, I don't, I don't want to hear about you on the, on the risk to the company, right? <laughs> right. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't want a legal guy just, you know, don't talk to me about risk. Just, just make sure the contracts are okay, right? Like, that, that, that's not the discussion that happens in, in the boardroom. So that's where we need to come in. You know, one of the things that it, I find interesting is, is probably like all of you, we mentor people. And one of the first things that I try to push on anybody at our level that I'm mentoring is board. How do you deal with the board? How do you talk to a board? Um, because most people do it wrong. And I think a lot of it is also incumbent on us as individuals in this field to be out there talking, to be out there mentoring and, and raising voice in panels like this to try to get people to think differently. Um, You're right. It's a, it's a significant problem. And it's not just about the CISO going to jail or being sued. It's about the CEO. Mm -hmm. It's about the, or I mean, target the fact that target still comes up on a very regular basis um, just proves how bad it was at a, a major retailer. And then it forced can, an evolution in the way we think about it. And it look did. what happened at AP Molar Maersk with a similarly awful situation, right. but they're all still employed. Right. And got raises and bonuses and did well. Um, and that whole breach was, I mean, disaster yeah. for them. You're right, but you're right. Transparency and reporting and you know, all of the things that they did and where that CISO sat and how they 
they dealt with that situation made it so that they didn't lose their job and they were almost looked at in the region as heroic. Right. It's true. I, I love that what you're talking about elevating the conversation and making that more public. I don't want to go too far with this, but is there a way to put people or help people not be in the untenable position of just deciding by themselves or with their lawyer what to do? Is there some sort of norms we can start to establish? And I don't know if it's as far as a code of conduct. That's conduct. That's probably way too taken way too far. But at least this is what is common of. Uh, best practices of CISOs to do in their businesses. So you're fitting within the norm when you're handling these situations in well, your job. Is that, is that even transparency? Yeah. And, teams. Let's, and, and I'll throw my thought out because I'm actually really passionate about this. If we have risks and situations that have arise within our own organization, it is not for me and two of my direct reports to go, shh, get rid of it. We have a corporate crisis team. It, it is made up of, the, the appropriate individuals in our organization and leaders, and we bring it to them. We'll have the call. We have the meeting. We may decide we're good, but it's documented. It's transparent. Any risks that we feel we had have been noted. And if the our chief ethics officer, our CEO, who's part of that, our chief legal counsel, make a determination, they made a determination. The interesting thing for us is if I completely disagree, I have a choice. I can right. stay or I can leave, but I brought it to corporate crisis. And, but it, it Julian, to your point, it requires wherewithal, experience, right. and the confidence mm -hmm. that we're doing the right thing. And I don't know that a lot of people have that. Well, so Mitch's point though, cause I'm sensitive to it because I, I try and do it, but it's, it's how do we collectively come up with a way for CISOs and other practitioners to have something that they can fall back on, almost like a Bible of here's the things that you need to bring to bear when you're thinking about taking this position or if you're already in a position. Like, you remember, Matt, one of the Sounds things Sounds like we, we all first. agreed to publish a book right now. This is, I haven't seen a book, like this is a topic that is ripe for, you, so you know, yeah. yeah. Like, like well, not a, not a, how to pick the right vendor, how to, <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's the risk issue of like, how do you deal with the ethics and issues of being a CISO and how do you interact with the board and how do you verify that, you know, your company's taking it seriously. Well, again, the CISO's to, guide to survival. I'm sorry. Again, yeah. Well, again, to the, to the point that, that we all made, but specifically Matt and Ben made when we first started the discussion, right. It's, it's about the evolution. I think Matt was one who said, Hey, look, you know, CISOs, maybe 10 years. I mean, we all probably know who the first CISO was, right, at Citigroup. And and the issue becomes, it's like everything with evolution. Like, you know, we all, many of us discovered that we were musicians when it's called first, but it's just a saxophone. I was a jazz performance major in college. When I went to university, there weren't schools or people who taught you how to protect your music yet. And so the the theoretically what would happen, you have these great musicians where all their rights and everything were taken from them when they signed their first contract. Now the industry has evolved to there's not a major university you can go to where there isn't a class about the business of music and how we do it. And I think maybe where we're at in the security industry is it's time for us to have that next evolution as well, where we speak out more about it. To Ben's point, maybe this is it's time for a book to talk about this because like, uh, you know, Gary Hayslip is a st very strong friend of mine. He's written now several books about what it means to be a CISO. But even in, in that case, it talks more about 
the cyber hygiene and the, what, it, yeah. what the job of a CISO is, but it doesn't talk about how CISOs also need to be concerned about the things that we're talking about today, how they protect themselves, and what is kind of this code of ethics that you don't want to break, kind of like the Hippocratic Oath if you're, if you're a doctor, right? Do no harm. I, yep. I, coming up with, you can't call it the Hippocratic Oath, but coming yeah. up with that, I, look, I mean, it, that, to your point, that oath drives doctors. If the hospital tells them not to do something, they have an oath that they've taken when they mm -hmm. became that CISO that, you know, we, we're, we're starting to see, and we, you know, we started this whole conversation about the unfortunate situation, whether it's true, it's not true, whatever it be around a particular CISO who uh, the Justice Department is looking at right now and filing charges against, if they had some sort of a Hippocratic oath that they had tied themselves to and they violated it, that'd be one thing. Yeah, exactly. But if they didn't violate that Hippocratic oath, but win against their corporation, that's a completely different. They have a leg to stand on, right? Absolutely. Very interesting. Yeah. So I, you know, Julian, you mentioned you're talking to ISC squared, right? I, you know, I don't know if it's a book or is there, is there a CISO certification? that we come out with it could be that, it could be both that actually you know part of that is the ethics of, of a CISO right ethics you know, and, of CISO I, and stuff like that I think right? there's a training right there's a I, 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 I know that there are some CISO training programs right um, and they're out there and I can't speak to the efficacy or, or the validity mm -hmm. of them but right. um, I, I almost wonder if there's like a like a professional organization of CISOs that needs to be started Right. Mm. Where where it's like, you, you know, you, you do that. Part of it is like there is this, uh, you know, the, the Hippocratic Oath. There, there's some there's some there's some there's a foundational component to it. But part of that is, you know, you you you, you become a member and then there's some level of like uh, mentoring. There's some level of being able to ask for reference on like I'm, I'm unsure how to deal with this. Right. Like that's a must. We haven't done that. We haven't banded together. and We haven't said, look, it's like there's a there's the CISO professional organization and, and their best practice says that the CISO reports to the CEO. <laughs> their, their best practice says that you report at least quarterly. Right. Like and, and you can go into the board and say, look, like there's a there's a thousand CISOs that are part of this. They're part of, you know, all of Fortune 500 is a part of it. And this is the accepted best practice for what we do. And if we don't do it, like we're taking a huge amount of risk by violating just best practice, right? Like stay, stay why doesn't art. that exist for us? I yeah, agree with that. Good idea. With, you know, if you think about privacy, they, they have all sorts of communities. Ethics has all sorts of communities, legal, IT. I mean, there are so many CIO organizations, but you're, you're absolutely right. Not, There's nothing I, for CISOs. Nothing. Yeah. And I, I think this is the team to start one. Except, except I, informal. I like that idea. <laughs> Except informal stuff that really focuses still more on concepts and ideals, but nothing that deals with the efficacy yeah, not, of being a system. Not, not the tech. It's just it's a professional body, right? It's yeah. a professional no. organization. Yeah, that's the way it should be. Yeah, because unfortunately, that but that that's what you, you're talking about. The evolution of how this CISO position came to be is it didn't come from people who went to business school and are now learning the tech. 99.9% .9 of all CISOs came from the tech and how to learn the business. Including the first one. <laughs> Including the first one. And, and Mitchell and I were selling to, to City back then. Yep. They actually had, if you remember, Mitchell, remember they had three CISOs, 
right? At that point, they had three different ones. And, you know, they told us that it takes 60 to 90 days to implement a patch. We were trying to sell <laughs> vulnerability management. And it kind this of blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. It hasn't early. changed much. Yeah, <laughs> it's been worse. I guess I didn't need to qualify that. Hey, that's next week's episode. But, uh, but no, I mean, seriously, if I was 15 years younger and had 12 things less on my plate... I would take this as a mission to go out and do it. Maybe someone out here is listening. Go do it. We need we need a CISO organization. I think CISOs would readily, you know, jump at the chance. And, and not only that, just to just to even have have a, a, an ear, a shoulder, a, 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 a trusted advice peer, a peer to peer that peer to peer relationship. A book, something. A yeah, book that they can go, the reference. little red book of CISOs or whatever, yeah. And it's a shame. Unfortunately, some poor SOBs may wind up going to jail over this. And, and oh, whether you believe right or wrong, right, it's going to happen. And, and that, that, that's a real problem. Guys, we're, we're about at the end of our time, though, so I, I need to kind of wrap it up. I'm going to give each of you a chance, though, to kind of make your closing arguments as long as we're doing legal and um and we'll wrap it from there uh julian you went last to start so i'm going to ask you to go first to finish absolutely and thank you first of all this has been an honor to be on this with you guys i've really enjoyed it uh in the concept of closing arguments cybersecurity, just like any other function of a business is there to support the business it's design it's not just to protect the business from attacks and all this other stuff, but it's to manage the risk to the business when those attacks occur. It is a serious job that requires serious attention that needs to be driven and managed from the top of the organization. And if it's not done that way, it will not be done well and it will not meet its purpose. Absolutely. Ben? <laughs> yeah, no, that was good, Julian. I don't know how to follow that up. Yeah, no, I... I <laughs> I, I really believe that cybersecurity has evolved to a risk function and it needs to evolve to a risk function. It needs to be taken seriously by the business. And I think it's, it is really up to us as a community to band together and kind of move that ball forward, uh, both from, you know, as people who aspire to be CISOs as well as companies who need CISOs to actually function and, and function well and securely. Fair enough. Mitchell. I think this has been a call to action. I didn't expect that to come out of today, but whether it's fully this team or we inspire some others to be part of books, maybe something in the university setting, a society, whatever that is, it seems to me a super valuable and noble thing to take on. I don't mean that in a, you know, too, too funny of a way, but I, it is something I think we need. And I hope that we, we together or individually do something with that with this call to action matt take us home so i'll close it out thank you all so much it's been honored to speak with you all today and and i'll close it with i agree with everything we've discussed and the, the final point to me is i think too many people that may have grown up in technology and have taken these roles would look at you ben look at you julian or myself as adversaries almost because we're competing for jobs or <laughs> you know it's competition and I think one of the things that is going to be key in the success here is to realize that we're not adversaries. We're actually peers. We're all peers. We're all on the same side of this situation that we see ourselves in. And if we can come together and band together, 
that it's not, wow, I can't give Ben some information because, you know, Ben may take my job or Julian may take my, you know, we got to stop thinking that way. Um, and it, it does come down to that, that base psychology of, again, we're, we're a team. We really are a team that we, we get paid by different organizations. Absolutely. Hey, gentlemen, and next time we will have a lady. We tried for this one. We just couldn't pull it together. But gentlemen, thank you for joining and, and contributing to this episode of CISO Talk. What a great one. I'd love to have all of you back on soon, maybe. Similar topics. Continue this topic. It's good stuff. Ben, Julian, Julian Waits, Ben Carr, thanks for joining us. Mitchell and Matthew, as always, thanks for uh, riding shotgun with me here. This is Alan Schimmel for CISO Talk. We'll be back with another episode in about two weeks. But for now, be well and be safe. Bye-bye.